And the heart actually sets the pace and the rhythm for the entire body, including the brain. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. So let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Roland McCrady. Roland is a vice chairman and head of research at the Institute of Heart Math in Boulder Creek, California, which has been carrying out scientific research into the intelligence of the heart since 1991. He is an international authority in the field of heart coherence and the effects of positive and negative emotions on human psychophysiology. Welcome to the show, Roland. Well, great. Thanks to be here. I just wanted to ask you about the power of the heart and how the heart can help us cope with stress in these very uncertain times right now. Okay, Drew, um, we can really answer that from a couple of different perspectives. Uh, if we start, uh, how about we start with some physiology? Would that be okay? That would be great, Roland. Thank you. All right, sure. I think one of the kind of core understandings of how the heart really helps us manage stress. And, and let me just comment first that when we talk about stress, it's almost always an emotion or an emotional response. And, um, like we might say, you're stressing me out, but what are we really saying? You're causing me frustration or anxiety, these types of things, the way I'm perceiving what's going on. So that's uh, it's important to kind of uh, look under the hood of what we call stress. And this is where the, the role of the heart has a lot to do with um, stress management. And you, in a way, you could think of it as how do we manage and self-regulate our own emotional diet. And it's important to also understand that emotions are what really run the show. They're what drive the physiology. In other words, if we got somebody wired up here in the lab, it's really easy to show. We can have you think about things and do arithmetic and all these things. And, and sure, we can measure some physiological changes. But once you evoke a feeling, you know, once, uh, if you get a little anxious or frustrated or angry, big changes happen in your blood pressure, the neural traffic, the hormonal system, all the major systems in the body. In fact, just getting frustrated for even a minute or so will set in motion a cascade of at least 1,400 biochemical and, and uh, events in the body. So it's uh, really, I think, to start this discussion, important to understand how important it is to really become more aware of what we're actually feeling and what our emotions are. But there's so many people, we've kind of become numb to them. They're kind of under the radar, but they're still causing these same uh, physiological changes. Now, with that said, the heart actually sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. And it does this through a number of pathways, but... Uh, if we just focus on the nervous system, the neural pathways, and that may sound like some controversial or new discovery, but it's actually not. This has been known since the late 1800s in its basic anatomy. Now, in the late 1960s and early 70s, researchers were starting to, to look more into, well, the physiology of these types of how the heart and brain communicate. And two terms were introduced back in that era to describe the effect that the different rhythmic activity of the heart had on the brain. And those terms are called cortical facilitation 
In other words, the cortex, the part of our brain we get paid to go to work for, or we make decisions and are able to self-regulate and, and these types of things, abstract thinking. And the other term was called cortical inhibition. So when we're now we know that it's really the patterns of the heart rhythm, and we call these patterns incoherent and coherent. So when we're feeling anxiety or frustration or overwhelm or impatience, these types of feelings, the heart beats out a very different message. And we call that an incoherent rhythm. If you look at it on a graph, it kind of looks like an earthquake graph, uh, but a very jerky kind of rhythm. And the heart actually sets the pace and the rhythm for the entire body, including the brain. Now, on the other hand, what we observed way back in the early 90s was that when we're feeling things like calm or appreciation or compassion, love, these types of uh, what we now call um, renewing emotions, that's the effect they have in, in the physiology is they add energy instead of depleting energy, you see a very different heart rhythm pattern. And we call that a coherent rhythm. And when we're in that coherent state, the information being sent to the brain literally and measurably increases the synchronization of all the neurons in our brain, which is what leads to cortical facilitation. And there are neural inputs from the, that come up from the heart to the brain to every major brain center. And one of those is the amygdala, or there's really two of them, but the amygdalas. In fact, the neurons in the center of the amygdala are literally synchronized to the heart. So every time the heart beats, the neural activity in the amygdala fire in unison with it. So whatever that heart rhythm pattern is, the amygdala is seen. And the amygdala is very much involved in emotion and emotional perception. So what we now know is that the, the amygdala is really monitoring the rhythms of the heart and using that uh, to have, have a large degree on affecting how we feel uh, or our emotional experience. So once we understood this physiology, Drew, we were able to create a number of what we call tools and techniques that allow people to shift into this coherent state anytime, anywhere. And we really put a lot of emphasis on um, in-the-moment self-regulation of our emotions. In other words, we, there's a lot of great things for stress reduction out there, but they're usually after the fact. Whereas what we focus on is right in the moment. I'm starting to feel that frustration or that anxiety. Is You, you use these techniques to shift into coherence right in that moment. So we really save all the taxes we pay from being in an incoherent state. And it also allows us to make better better decisions in the moment. Um, we also work a lot in uh, law enforcement, first responder communities, these types of things. Because when we're able to make those shifts into coherence, that enhances brain function, right? So we're able to make better choices, really maintain our emotional composure in the heat of the moment. And boy, is that needed in today's world. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Roland, in my life, I know I've made some incredibly bad decisions when I find that I'm up in my head and I'm thinking too much, thinking mind. And yet when I do these heart math techniques and I get centered in my heart, I feel like I just, I know what to do. I know where to go. I feel stronger. For anybody listening out there right now who's maybe feeling a little bit lost, I, I know you've talked about the heart as like our inner GPS system, which is amazing. Um, would you say that people that are feeling a little bit lost, it would be helpful to to find their way back to the heart? Oh, absolutely. Or maybe find their way to the heart for the first time. Um, before I got involved with HeartMath, 30, well, 30 years ago, I had been a 
long-term meditator, but I'm also uh, at that time had uh, owned a pretty high-tech company, and uh, before that, I was a communication engineer for Motorola, so I was pretty grounded in, in the sciences, and, and you know, so I didn't have a lot of tolerance for woo-woo type stuff, these kinds of things, but but I did find meditation helpful, and at the same time, uh, I could do a, a great morning meditation and be flying around the universe and, you know, these types of things, and by the time I got to work through the traffic jams and uh, I was already kind of frustrated and then walking into the office with all the problems. I was right, like you're saying, in my head and kind of um, so whatever that nice, peaceful state I had created, it was out the window very quickly. Hmm. And this is why. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people's experience. Um, but and it's one of the reasons why it is so important to learn how to be aware of what we're feeling and our emotions throughout the day, moment to moment and be able to self-regulate in those moments. But I'm going to circle back around to to really answer your question. Uh, Because, you know, in in our language, there's so many terms that in our sayings, like go to the heart, the heart always knows, ask your heart. Uh, There's a reason for that, as what we're seeing scientifically now. And we did a a series of studies. Well, let me, me, I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit here. One one of the things we heard from so many people that would be practicing the heart math skills that, that you're talking about, Drew, was that their intuition uh, was like on steroids. It was just a radical shift. And then the second thing we would hear was that, and and then synchronicities are happening in my life like never before. So that motivated us to do a series of research on the topic of intuition. And as it turns out, there are really three major types of intuition. I don't think we have time to to go into those today, but one of those we call non-local. And it's, it's really kind of related to your inner GPS question. But what we, I won't go into the details. This is all published in, in peer review journals. So anybody that's interested can, can go dig deep into the science. What we basically found is that the, the heart is, pl- well, when, let me say it this way. The way we got this published in these peer reviewed journals was to talk about the heart as having access to a field of information outside the boundaries of time and space. Because it was getting information before a future event would happen. And then literally sending a measurably different neural signal to the brain. And then you had a brain response and then a body response where we would consciously feel it, like the gut feeling or the hair on the back of the neck. So the gut gets the credit a lot of times, but it's really heart first. So the the heart really is tuned in to uh, another type of information. That And so what did I mean by that? What, I'm like coming a little bit more out of the closet here, but what I, but a field of information outside time and space is what I think a lot of people would call their higher self or their their, their spirit. Uh, here at HeartMath, we just call it your larger self or your energetic self, that part that we can't put under a microscope. Uh, you can't put a thought or an emotion or an intuition under a microscope, but we all know they exist. We all have them. And a lot of that is what we're coming to understand has to do with really the I just call it the energetic processing, but we can get into, you know, magnetic and electric fields and how they all process uh, at the level of the heart and brain. But just to keep it simple, when we're able, and what these studies also showed is when we're able to get into that coherent heart rhythm state, that that amplifies or opens up that channel to our, our non-local intuition, our larger self. So that's uh, why I say that, uh, that it's like our, our best, our own best friend, our inner GPS. So when we're able to get coherent, it really 
strengthens that radio station is a good way to think of it to our to our larger self or our larger self. Uh, so we are able to bring in that intuitive information in day-to-day life. That's awesome. Roland, I've heard you say you've got a great slogan where you say, what am I feeding the field? And oftentimes people talk about, you know, our actions that we do, our words that we use, but it's also, we're also feeding into this, this field, our thoughts, our feelings, our energy. Would you agree with that statement that really, we, we really need to be responsible for what we're, what we're sending out into the world? Oh, absolutely. Um, I sort of give uh, your listeners a little bit of scientific grounding there and why I say that is when you put electrodes on across the body to measure the electrocardiogram, the, the heartbeat, what you're measuring is electricity. That's why it's called the electrocardiogram. And that's so literally, quite literally, what we, we put electrodes on the brain or the heart, we're measuring current flow is technically what's being measured there. But whenever you have a flow of current, you create a magnetic field. And magnetic fields tend to penetrate things. And in fact, this is where my ex-communication engineering days are very helpful. So if we pull out my cell phone, we could see that here. And, and I would usually ask an audience, well, how does the signal from the phone get to the cell tower? How does our voice and text messages, whatever, work? And it's funny. Most people say it's magic. But, uh, <laughs> no, we, we, it's funny, but a lot of people. Uh, but, you know, we use electromagnetic fields to carry that information. This is, you know, basic, basic stuff. But it's the magnetic component that goes through walls. And if, if you don't believe me, stop using your cell phone indoors, right? Because it couldn't work otherwise. So the magnetic field produced by the currents of the, the heart and brain are the same way. They, they create magnetic fields. And the magnetic field produced by the beating heart, we can measure with devices called magnetometers, measure magnetic field, uh, up to about three feet outside of the body. That doesn't mean that that field doesn't go much farther. It's just the sensitivity of today's instrument. You know, Not that long ago, it was a couple feet. And using that same device, you can measure a brainwave about an inch. So you, we, we talk energetically here or magnetically. The heart's obviously the big player. Now, it wasn't a big step once we were able to measure the, the magnetic um, fields to use, I won't go into the scientific details here, but it's called spectral analysis, to see that the information being carried by the heart's magnetic field works just like a cell phone or any type of radio transmitter, and that we could decode that information being carried by the field. So in fact, we can tell with about 75% accuracy somebody's emotional state, how they're feeling, just by looking at these spectral patterns being carried by the field, the magnetic field. So in other words, what I'm saying here is that what we're feeling inside isn't, doesn't just stay inside of us. It's literally radiated into the external environment through, through the, these mag, measurable magnetic fields. And then the next step in our research path, and I'm going many years ago, was to ask the question, okay, we know we're radiating these fields, and we know we can measure the information in them. So what? Does that affect other people? And that was actually a fairly easy next step to show that, yes, our nervous systems are exquisitely tuned to these biologically generated fields, and that we can measure this, just to cut through here, we can really prove and show that whenever people are communicating or, or not, or in the near field with each other, that there's this energetic communication channel that's always going on. And that's, we have sayings in our language that 
we already know this, right? The tension was so thick in the room, you could cut it with a knife. Or, you know, good vibes, bad vibes, you know, that's these kinds of terms. Uh, well, that's actually measurable. So that's what I really mean by what are we feeding the field? Because when we're feeding that field with, with patterns of frustration or anxiety uh, or even worse, right, that it's measurable and it has measurable impacts on those around us. On the other hand, when we're in a heart coherent state, that information in the field is very different. And that actually can have a measurable and uplifting effect on those around us. That's great, Roland. I, I know for myself, I was telling you this earlier, when, when I'm getting anxious, when I'm getting stressed, I, I find that I use some of these heart math techniques. I do a longer meditation in the morning, but then I'll check in with my heart throughout the day. And you know, since you're, you're on this uh, podcast with us, it would be a huge honor maybe to have you lead some of our listeners through maybe some heart breathing and a quick coherence so they can just see how powerful this is, you know, to check in with your heart throughout the day. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. How about I lead you through one of the newer techniques? It's one of, a, a new program that's really about uh, teams and families working more coherently together. Yeah, let's do it called Shift and Lift. So it'll be the first time I think it's been publicly uh, uh, taught like this. So it starts with a, there's a three-step technique. And first step is called heart-focused breathing. For heart-focused breathing, you shift your focus of attention to the area of your heart. You can even put your hand on your heart if you want to in the beginning uh, to help learn this. But imagine your breath is flowing in and out of your heart or chest area, breathing a little slower and deeper than usual. Find a rhythm that's easy and comfortable for you. Now, that's just as a little caveat here. Uh, that focus of attention in the area of the heart is actually an important part of the step. And the, the, the breathing at this slower and deeper rhythm, if we breathe about a five-second in and five-second out rhythm, that's the resonant frequency of the heart and cardiovascular system. So that shifts us more quickly into this heart-coherent state. Okay. So step one is heart-focused breathing. Step two. We want to activate feelings of kindness, appreciation, genuine connection, or an attitude of deep listening. Now, one of the things I do during this step is sometimes is while I'm doing the heart-focused breathing, which you want to continue during the technique, is just kind of remember a time you really felt good, that you really felt appreciation for someone or something, or even your pet, and just breathe in that feeling on the in-breath and breathe it out to others on the out-breath. So the third step is really is about that. It's radiate those heart qualities to raise your vibration and help lift the energy field environment that surrounds you. Now, this is a technique that we here at HeartMath, we do before every meeting, every phone call, every Zoom meeting, whatever we have. You know, if we find that it, as a lot of our customers say that when we really practice just getting coherent and setting this kind of an attitude for deep listening and a deep connection with each other, that our meetings are much shorter. In fact, a lot of companies say that their meetings are about half as long as they used to be Wow! because we're, we're actually in a, in a coherent state together as a team or family, whatever the, the context may be. That's awesome. Great, Roland. Is there, is there more to it? I, I wasn't sure. Is that... 
No, that's just the three steps. It's hard focused breathing, activate the feelings of kindness, appreciation, genuine care, connection, and, and, and radiate those to, uh, to those to others. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Like I said, I do this throughout the day. Just check in with your heart. Do a little of this. It, it is so helpful. I can't, I can't tell you. It's life-changing. Roland, what do you think if everybody learned this technique and everybody practiced this technique, like, you know, the same way we might practice an instrument, a musical instrument, or, or, or like we played a sport, what do you think our lives and the world would be like if we all really practiced these techniques? Well, um, that's a hard question to answer, really. And because what we're really talking about is, is these simple little techniques that, that get us into coherence are connecting us with our deeper heart intuition. And that, from my perspective and what this, the research suggests, is that that helps raise awareness, or you can call it consciousness. So we become more inclusive of others, and we start making more choices that are better for our own health and, uh, and that of others. So I, I really think this is, well, I know this from in my own life. I'm kind of like you. This was transformational for me, uh, and I've seen it in so many others' lives. But if you can imagine what it might have been like, if you can imagine time traveling back 1,000, 2,000 years and flicking a bick for a group <laughs> of people, right? There you have fire in the palm of your hand. What that would have seemed like, that would have felt like magic to them, right? And they would like probably been you know worshiping you. Yeah, I mean, it's really, but really true, right? It's, it's such simple technology to today in today's world. I really feel that that's where we're headed. When we really understand this next dimensional shift that we access literally via the heart into that next uh, elevation of consciousness, that we're stepping into a world that we really c cannot predict. Um, just like, you know, the people back a thousand years ago could not have envisioned or predicted a big. <laughs> that's great. Um, so it's really similar to that. Well, Roland, speaking of time travel, um, one more question related to that. If you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 40, 45 years or so, I'm not sure how old you are, but if you had, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, what words of wisdom might your current self share with your younger self? Oh, God, there's so many things <laughs> that we all, as we get older, uh, said, God, I wish I had known that when I was younger. Well, <laughs> uh, it would be what we're talking about, um, especially if it was more like in the 30-some years or, say, 40. Um, I'm well into my 60s is my, my age. But the um, back when I was really practicing the meditations and stuff and, and exploring a lot of uh, this kind of world in, in my beginnings, we a lot of the different things that I learned would talk about the heart. and But it was more, I kind of perceived it more as a metaphor and it was really using my brain or my head to kind of whip energy through the chakras and all this stuff I was learning and practicing. That what I would, would uh, tell myself and, and hopefully be able to give myself the experience of back then is that the heart, when we're talking about the heart as that access point to our next level of growth and, and consciousness aware and awareness, is that it's literal and that it's really about the the mind, the head and mind learning to surrender to the intelligence of the heart and let it be the, uh, the director. That uh, that simple thing would have saved so much wear and tear and stress through my life because I, I can look at back and see so many of the, I would say, left turns that I made were when I was really coming from my head and my ambitions rather than uh, my heart's uh, intuitive guidance. Roland, thank you. That's beautiful. 
Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of the old Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So here's to getting started today, right now. Living with awareness, living with intention, and living with purpose. Stay well, everyone.